Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. My path to get here, to stand up in front of you and proclaim the Word of God, began with me being born into a Christian home. I was born and raised around the church. I was born and raised in a Christian household. My parents love the Lord, have served the Lord their entire lives as long as I've known them. And, uh, and so it's been a blessing for me to be in the church, but not always. During a period of time in my life from the ages of 12 to 16, the church for me was a very difficult place. I was in a place of rebellion on my own, dealing with some sin, and I was too young to know that that's what I was dealing with. And so for me, it turned into a rejection of my parents, a rejection of the church. I was the kid getting brought home to the because I was skating all, in all the wrong places and doing all the things that I shouldn't be doing. And in the end, I wrestled. I wrestled with who God was. And the reason I'm telling you this story is because I love the church of Jesus Christ. And there was nothing about the church of Jesus Christ during that time of my life that I could have found a redeeming quality in because of the selfishness of my own heart. And one of the warnings that we face as Christians is to guard against a heart of selfishness when we talk about the church of Jesus Christ. There is no room for selfishness in the body of believers. And so when I look at my life and I recognize what God did for me, I was in the middle of rebellion. And God did the one thing that could get my attention. He put a cute girl in front of me. It was absolutely true. I chased a girl back to church. And because of my upbringing, guess what I knew how to do? I knew how to be a really good Christian. I mean, I was good at it. Like, really good. Like, I knew the Bible backwards and forwards. If you said chapter and verse, I was the first one there. Awana does that to you. And so I faked it so well that the youth pastor invited me to teach. I was like, great, this is great. I can, I can go teach the Word of God. And it was the first time I actually taught the Word of God it was when I was 16 years old in absolute rebellion against my parents and the Lord, and yet God was at work in and through this youth pastor and this youth group. And at the end of my first six months as a part of this youth group, I found out that this girl was living a double life, wasn't really following Christ, and I'd been pretending to be a Christian for nothing. I was head over heels for her, still in love with her, and it was the first time God gave me a choice in life that was abundantly clear. It was her or him. And by God's grace, I chose him. And from that day forward, I have known that God has had a call on my life to walk with Him. It was only a year later at a Christian camp called Camp Bethel that I was out privately, quietly on my own, rowing a canoe. There was nobody else at the camp that Sunday afternoon. And I did not hear the audible voice of God, but I had committed in my life two things. I would never be a pastor, and I would never be a missionary because they're poor. And I had spent too much of my life not having enough, which means I, I didn't have what I wanted. Sure, I had enough. I could eat. I had a house. I had a loving family. But when you're young, those don't seem to be your needs. And so in the end, I had committed those two things. And here, 
the voice of the Lord came to my soul through his spirit and said, I want you to become a youth pastor. And I was like, what? But I knew in my heart of hearts, that's what I was to do. And so that began my journey down the road of becoming a pastor. I went to Bible college in Multnomah. I served in an internship up at a church in Linwood for four years, another church in California for five years. Spent over 10 years at a church in the high desert of California. That's real service. People didn't have lawns. I know that's hard for you guys to picture. It certainly was for me. Like not only they, they, you couldn't have a lawn, it was against the law to grow a lawn because it took too much water to grow them. So what did we grow every time it rained? This beautiful like green haze would come over the ground. And then within a day it was gone, replaced with what we love to call goat heads. Miserable, pointy little things that dig into your feet and are merciless. And that's where it was for over 10 years. Had a wonderful time and loved that, that church. But each time God has moved me somewhere as his plan dictated. In 2000, my wife and I lived here for a year. My dad had owned the Orange Julius over in the mall. And he was having problems as Walmart was destroying local businesses and the mall was crumbling and falling apart. My dad couldn't afford staff, so he asked me if I'd come help him. So we moved here. I was between ministries at the time. And I spent a year here. And within three months of getting here, that five-year effort to sell his business finally came through and I had no job. But I was living here, serving at the church that I'm now the pastor of. I was serving, just volunteer. I worked there for a year. And it gave me an opportunity to recognize something in my wife. She requires sun. She has that seasonal affective disorder. Every month during the winter, we had to send her to a tanning bed. And I tell you, it was a different person that came home. And she swore in 2000, we would never, ever live in Hopium again. So when God put it on my heart that I was to be the pastor of the Hoquiam First Baptist Church, the very church that I grew up in, the very church we were attending, when my wife said, that's not where we're going, the first thing I had to do was go to my wife and say, listen, this has been put on my heart. I need you to pray about it. I said, because if you say no, I'm not going to drive a wedge or a division and we'll seek the Lord together and figure out what's going on. And she came back to me not too much longer. She had spent some time in prayer, and she said, I'll tell you the same thing I told you the day I said yes to marrying you. Wherever God takes you, that is where I will go. And so we came back here. We've been here for three and a half years, teaching the Word of God, preaching the Word of God. I'm teaching a Bible study that my parents started when they lived here years ago. It's an amazing thing to be a part of community. And so to be invited into your community and to share the word, what I want you to know is that the words that come from me right now come from your brother in Christ, and I love you. I love you because Christ loves you, and you call him Lord and Savior. You are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And the unity of the church is vitally important for the mission that we've been given. And so as we dig into the book of Ephesians, my hope is to encourage you, to challenge you, and not put you to sleep. So let's hope. The passage that uh, I have been given is found in Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those. And before we, we get to the reading of my passage, I want to do just a brief recap of Ephesians 4. This isn't going to be extensive. 
Otherwise, we would be here for a month because I'm long-winded. Um, but I want to do a little recap. And so first, I want to look, considering verses 1 through 16 of Ephesians chapter 4, and I would say this, I, I summarize them this way. If you were to take something away, maybe this will spark a memory from the sermons of the previous weeks. I would say with humility, gentleness, patience, and the grace to bear with each other, every person in the church is to use their gifts to serve one another in order to grow in loving unity with the body of Christ. This is the summary of this section, that every one of us is given gifts. Every one of us is called to serve. We are all part of one body. And he ends the section this way in verses 15 and 16. Paul writes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That as we work together, that each person does their part, we help the whole grow. That's a beautiful picture. And it's a picture that Paul paints so clearly that by the time he's done with verse 16, he just ends the letter right there, right? Just zip zap, all done. That's the picture. This is a picture of the body. This is what it's supposed to be. You've been given gifts. You've been called to serve, love each other, grow the body, right? We're all done. Well, no, of course not. Otherwise, I wouldn't be standing here preaching. But the reality is this, that picture points to what we are to be. And then Paul says, but there are some requirements you need to get involved to make this happen. You need to respond in obedience. And there's a couple of clear things that are taught that we're challenged with in the rest of this chapter that take that ideal of the body of Christ where we're united together and says to each and, each and every one of us, pay attention to these things. Because if you don't, this unity that we talk about, this working together, this growing will not happen. Last week, Pastor Ben he preached a, a sermon entitled, Quit Living Like an Unbeliever. And he looked at verses 17 through 24, those that immediately follow, the, follow this section. And at the core of it, he talked about the fact that we need to quit living like the sinful world around us. To not be like Gentiles, as we all once were, as we all once walked. And that we are to put off the old self and all of its desires and pursue the new creation that we are in Christ, that new self. And as I thought about his lesson, I had this picture in my head, that of a house. How many of you have ever gone through the process of buying a house? Well, God bless you. Well done. You survived. Imagine, however, you've never been able to own a house. And for the first time in your life, you've saved up a bit of money. And the market's horrible. Your chances of actually having enough money to buy a house don't look good. You've been praying. You're trusting God for this. And in the middle of it, up comes this opportunity. There's this repo. It's just the right price. And if the power goes out, don't worry. I'll keep preaching. And so there's repo, and it's just the right amount of money. It's going to cost you everything you have, but it's exactly what you need. And you jump at the chance, and you buy the house. 
and go to the house and check out the house. And you get there and you realize why nobody else bought this house. You open the door and the smell nearly knocks you over. From floor to ceiling is just trash and garbage and refuse and feces of every kind. You're sitting there thinking to yourself, what have I gotten myself into? Now, if you have a house completely filled with this kind of stuff, this garbage, this refuse, this useless stuff, what do you have to do in order to make that house useful? Clean it out. Clean it out. You've got to get all that old junk out. And this is what Ben's service is about. When Jesus bought you with everything that he is, he gave up all that he was to purchase you. He bought a house filled with junk. And he cleaned it out so that he could fill it with his life and his light. This is what God has done for you. And unfortunately, Paul has to remind us don't forget what Christ has done. Quit going outside and getting the trash and bringing it back in. Don't live like an unbeliever. Let go of that sin. Don't let it entice you. Don't let it draw you back in. But leave that house cleansed as Christ created it and fill it with the light and life of Jesus Christ. That was last week. Ben said, quit living like an unbeliever. Well, today we're going to look at the flip side of that coin. Start living like a believer. Start living like believers. Now, we're going to be reading out of Ephesians chapter 4, the passage that we're going to be in today. And I know it is your tradition to stand for the reading of the word. So if you're able and you'd like to, please stand as we read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through 32. Paul says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we get into the meat of our text, I'd ask you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and that we have truth to live our lives by. And Lord, I thank you that though we were lost, though we were living as part of this world, you reached into that mess and you saved us. You didn't wait for us to get cleaned up, but you bought that house filled with garbage and cleansed it. And Lord, I pray that as we, this church, this family, this body of believers, as we pursue you, 
and we seek the truth of your word, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit to present the truth of your word and that you would work in our hearts through your spirit to teach us, to shape us, to challenge us, to open those doors and those closets that may have a little bit of junk left in them and help us get that stuff out. And so, Heavenly Father, I give you this time and I ask that you would, that you would just calm me, work in and through me, help me to speak only that which is helpful and useful for the body of Christ. Lord, bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at verse 25 again. Look at verse 25. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Look at that phrase, put away falsehood. As we look at that phrase, falsehood, how does falsehood impact a relationship? How do lies impact a relationship? Does it tend to be a positive thing? No, why not? What do lies do? Well, they undermine trust. If I can't trust you at your word, it's not like I can walk around. Now, wives, you may think differently, but us men, for sure, we cannot read minds. You may be able to read your husband's mind somewhat because, you know, it's pretty simple. It's easy reading. We're talking first grade here. But the reality is we can't read each other's minds. So if somebody tells a lie, what do we do? We believe them. If we trust them, but then if we find out there's a lie, what happens the next time they need to tell us something? We have trouble believing them. When I hear this phrase, to put away falsehood, the first thing that comes to mind is the command. What command in the Old Testament relates to the idea of putting away falsehood? Ten commandments, I'll give you a hint. It's one of those. Yeah, you shall not bear false witness. I think it's a tragedy that sometimes that's translated, thou shalt not lie. It's not about lying. It's about breaking relationship through falsehood. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And when we think about the body of Jesus Christ, and again, this is the context within which we're talking. People that we are to rub shoulders with, people that we are to depend on. Paul says, put away falsehood. And what does falsehood look like usually within the body of Christ? Where does it start? How does it grow? And typically, falsehood begins with things like gossip. A conversation that starts over here that maybe gets overheard and spread over here. The next thing we know, we're talking about somebody and they're not even a part of the conversation. Now falsehood has entered our building, our community, our relationships because we haven't guarded our tongues. False accusations, judgment of others, these Things can bring about division within your whole body. My favorite example of lying is when I drive down the road and I think to myself, I'm hungry. I'm not really hungry. I'm just out in my car and my body tells me I'm hungry. And I think to myself, you know what, McDonald's, that sounds like a good healthy option. Let's go there. I mean, they've got what, vegetables and meat? 
And, and wheat, you know, that's got to be really good for you. It's not overly processed or trying to kill you. So you go to McDonald's, and what do you buy? You buy a Big Mac. And I buy a Big Mac, and my mouth and my stomach convince the rest of my body that this is a good idea. I eat the Big Mac, and now I have to lose 60 pounds. Why? Because I was lying to myself. If one part of the body lies to another part of the body, who does it affect? The whole body. There is no simple falsehood. There is no simple lie. There is no simple betrayal of the truth within the body of Christ because we're one. Out in the world, there's all kinds of things and all kinds of good reasons to lie. If you're not a Christian and you're not lying, I think you're missing a great opportunity in life, honestly. But within the body of Christ, as we lie, if we lie to one another, we're hurting not only the person that we're lying to, but ourselves and everyone else involved. And so when he says to put away falsehood, he then replaces it with a positive. Instead, speak the truth how? In love. How many of you are really good at speaking the truth? Do I have any truth blurters? People are like, truth, bam, gotcha. I'm one of those. I love the truth. I'm so excited to talk about the truth and tell people the truth. I really have to watch myself sometimes. And that's why Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, made, it, made a conscious effort to write those words in love. That makes this a lot more complicated. But again, whenever we talk about speaking, whenever we talk about falsehood, when we talk about truth, we're talking about relationships how people are united together. So when he says speak the truth in love, you have to ask the question, the situations where speaking the truth requires an act of love. If I tell you it's Sunday, did that require any love for me to say that? No, it's just a matter of fact statement. Okay, so what are some situations? I thought of two that we're going to talk about today. The first is when I'm wrong. When I'm wrong, I'm going to need to be able to speak the truth in love. This is one of my favorite illustrations because it's a true illustration about me and something I struggle with and I wrestle with. At the end of the day, after a long day of teaching and counseling and studying and praying and playing games, because I do all of that, I'm tired. And oftentimes I don't come in until 9 or 9.30 at night. And our two little boys are 10 and 7. We have three older kids, but uh, they're pretty much out of the house. My two youngest, of the, young, uh, the youngest one now especially, struggles with going to bed. We've done the reading of the book and the brushing of the teeth and the quiet conversation. We've sat on his bed. I've prayed with them. I go downstairs, and all I want to do is play a game with my favorite person in the world, my wife. We sit down, and we get the game out, and we're getting ready to play, and what do I hear? <gasps> I'm like, what is happening? I mean, did a dinosaur just walk through the upstairs? I'm like, okay, so let's see. I don't really think there's ghosts. Uh, demons are... Oh, man, it's my son. Okay, so, but here's the thing. I don't want to deal with it. I'm tired. 
So I let it go. I ignore it. I don't pay attention to it. I'm like, I, it, hopefully, you know, it is God's mercy that brings us to repentance. So I'm going to give mercy and, let, and not kill him right now. And so I calm down. And what does he do? He sneaks down the stairs. Now he's downstairs. Not only, he's not only upstairs making noise, he's downstairs. And he's like, mom, can you cuddle with me? Can I have a glass of water? Can I have some chocolate milk? Can we fly to the moon? Sure, whatever you'd like, son. And so he rattles that on and on and on. What's happening inside of me? I am getting more and more agitated. I'm getting more and more irritated. And when I am not walking in the spirit, I have this beautiful ability to express myself through my diaphragm, and I yell at my son. What have I done? I have tried to use my presence and my power and my strength to intimidate my son to go to bed. What have I done to my son? I have sinned against my son. And in that moment, he's wrong. Here you go, Jordan, but I'm wronger. I am wrong. I have failed my son as a father to display the consistent discipline and love of Jesus Christ. Because in my selfishness, I just wanted time for me. So what must I do? I must go speak the truth in love. I must love my son enough to go to him and say, listen, I shouldn't have yelled at you. That was a sin and I need to ask you to forgive me. And then I have to proceed with proper loving discipline of my son. Speaking in the, tr the truth in love when I am wrong requires me to take the first step to confess sin. In premarital counseling, I always tell people, always be the first one to apologize. If there's an argument, always be the first one to apologize. Because in our responses, in the way we handle things, when there's an argument, there are two people who are wrong, even if you're only wrong a little. But be the first to apologize. Be the first to confess your sin. Humble yourself and you will be surprised how the gates open to your partner's heart. Because they see in you the same humility of Christ and they recognize that they too want this to work as they pursue Christ. And so, speak the truth and love amongst yourselves. If you have done something wrong, don't cover it over, don't bury it, go to people and confess your sin. Otherwise, you are allowing for that that falsehood to remain in the midst of the body. And the body will be weakened by it. The second place is when another is wrong. Jesus teaches this best, when another person is wrong. He says, when you see the speck in your brother's eye, first, take the log out of your own eye so you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Speaking the truth in love amongst the brotherhood, amongst Christians, means that we actually step into each other's lives in very awkward ways. If I see you in sin or struggling with sin, it is my responsibility before the Lord to make sure that I'm right before Him, that I'm not judging you in pride or arrogance, but instead I've humbled myself before the Lord and as an act of love, I make myself uncomfortable to go and appeal to you 
to help you get out of your sin. To speak the truth in love means that we don't gossip about those things that we see. We don't tear people down because of their failures or their weaknesses. But in everything, we look to build one another up. You see, Paul says that we are not to be false, that we are to speak the truth in love. And there's oddly one issue within our world, another problem, another approach to this, that if we're not paying attention, we may think that Paul missed it, and that is the greatest virtue of our culture today, which is tolerance. Tolerance says, you're right, I'm right. Never the two shall meet. But the problem with that is when there is truth, when there is truth and one is in violation of the truth, but they demand that you accept their truth, can you actually put away falsehood from amongst you when somebody demands that you accept a falsehood? The answer is no, you can't. You cannot accept a lie. And the way Satan causes this to happen in people is after you've come to faith in Jesus Christ and you're working through some of your issues, I deal with this especially with youth right now a lot. They will come to me and they will say to me, I am homosexual. I am transgender. I am, and you can list any sin. And what they've done is they've defined themselves by their sin. And you know that Christ has radically changed their hearts when they change that to say, I am struggling with. I am tempted by. But they are no longer defined by it. Tolerance in the world says, you have to allow me to define myself any way I want. And God says, no. And so as a Christian, we have to speak the truth in love even in that situation. That means I can't accept their lie but I have to find a way to lovingly tell them, listen, you as a believer in Christ are defined only by one thing, and that is Christ in you. That's why Paul uttered those words, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. All my old self is gone. All those things I held to, they mean nothing. And so as we look at these verses, the goal of the body of Christ is to maintain our unity in love, and falsehood will destroy that. Jesus tells us why this is important. In John 13, 35, he says this, this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you are allowing falsehood to remain amongst the relationships of your brothers and sisters in Christ, I encourage you today to take care of that issue. Go to that person that you have wronged or lied to and confess your sin. Love your brothers and sisters enough to speak the truth. To be truthful. The next couple of verses, Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, say this. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So Paul, in his list of ways that we are to live like a believer, first he tells us to speak no falsehood, but to instead to speak the truth in love. And now he says, in your anger, do not sin. 
Now, I think of the example of Jesus in the temple anytime I think of this, that righteous anger that turned over the tables and whipped the money changers out of the temple. He got rid of them because they didn't belong there and they were offending the purpose of the temple where people were to come and pray. And so he had a righteous anger. He did not sin in his actions. When we think of anger, what kind of, what kind of actions do we do that cause anger to become sin? What sin is caused by anger? Anybody? What was that? Mur- mur- murders. That's, that's the very far, far end of that. Yep. What else? Yeah, self-centeredness. It's about me. It's not about you. What else? What was that? Hatred. Absolutely. Hatred. You have violence that leads to death. We see that with Cain and Abel. God even warned him that sin was crouching at his door. And in his anger, he winds up killing his brother. You have hatred, this hatred that burns in your heart to the point where you can't love someone. Is there any room within the body of Christ for hatred? No. The most interesting thing about anger, as Paul says in your anger, do not sin, is what we can talk about it producing. It's the exact same thing that John writes about in John chapter 10.10. He says, the thief comes only to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Anger leads to me taking everything I want, however I can get it. Anger leads to riots. Anger leads to destruction. Anger leads to the loss of life. And so when we look at this, why? Why does Paul warn us? Well, just take my analogy with my son. Let's say that I did not confess my sin to my son when I lost my temper and I yelled at him. What does he learn from that? What would my son learn from that? He learns to fear me. He learns to disrespect me, but only quietly. He grows bitter towards me. And I actually grow bitter towards him because he keeps interrupting me. My child will fail to grow in gentleness. The list goes on and on and on. When we lose our anger, when we lose control. But Paul says something interesting in these verses. He says that we are not to let the sun go down on our anger. And this answers the question, what do you do when you're angry? Notice it is not a sin to get angry. But what makes it sin? Well, what do you do when you're angry? First, I would say forgive. Usually when you're angry, you're mad at someone. You're blaming someone. Forgive so you don't grow bitter. Number two, work it out so your relationship can be restored. Do the hard work. Let go of the anger and work it out peacefully. Find a way to do that. Number three, repent so the others see your humility in Christ. Recognize that you've lost it and repent. And four, restore restore the love between you so that love can grow. 
What do you do when you're angry? What do you do when you lose it? You repent, you seek forgiveness, and you restore it. You also make sure that you deal with that anger in a timely manner so that it doesn't fester and grow in you. So what does Paul mean when he says to make sure the sun doesn't go down on your anger? He's saying don't let it have a hold on you. Do not let it control you. It's an interesting thing where he warns with anger that that letting loose of that, letting control of that, gives Satan an opportunity in your life. How much destruction is caused by one moment when we've lost control because of anger? How many families have been ruined? How many children have been taken from homes? How many relationships destroyed? And so we must guard against it. And so I will say to you always, the love of Jesus leads us to unity and restoration. Again, John 13, 35, what is the point of it? By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Anger does not belong amongst the body of Christ because it is not produced in love. You must resolve your anger. There is righteous anger, but if you let it fester, you will give Satan a foothold in your life. The next verse that Paul records, uh, that he writes, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So the first thing we are to do is to guard from falsehood. The second thing we're to do is guard from anger. The third thing we're to do is to stop stealing. Stop stealing. Now, to those of you that don't have a problem with stealing, this verse is like, well, no, duh. Of course you shouldn't steal things. But anybody who struggles with stealing and taking advantage of people is like, ah, You know, there's those little things where I've been cutting corners, those little places where I've sort of taken advantage. I really need to quit doing that. Because the core of stealing is just that. You're taking advantage of other people. And if that happens amongst the body of Christ, who does it affect? It affects the whole body. It affects the whole body. So he tells you to do honest work with your hands. Now, anybody who comes out of a life where they've learned to manipulate to get whatever they want, whenever they want. You know what the hardest thing in the world is? Do an honest day's work. Because it's work. Work is hard. It's actually part of the curse. Adam was cursed. His work was cursed. The ground was cursed. Work is hard. But the problem with stealing, the problem with manipulating, is that you are beginning to limit the resources of the whole body. That's why you are to work and produce. The person who does not work, the person who chooses to steal and manipulate and take is like a cancer in the church. It's growing and feeding off of the whole system while it systematically destroys the whole thing. If you are a person who cuts corners, if you are a person who takes advantage, this warning is for you. 
to stop stealing. Go to work. And what is the point? So that you may have something to share with those in need. Always the love of Jesus serves and sacrifices. Always. The person who steals is only looking out for themselves, but the person who works and gives generously is reflecting Christ himself. And we do this so that the whole body will grow in unity and love. And this is why I keep repeating John 13, 35. That by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Because if you are a false, a person who proclaims lies and falsehoods, if you are a person who loses your temper, if you're a person who takes advantage, you are destroying the body of Christ. And so speaking the truth in love, I call you to repent of it. Just as Christ calls me to do the same. To guard my heart and my life as your brother in Christ. Finally, the last thing he deals with, as we look, as we look now at verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. What is something that corrupts? Something that corrupts, what is it doing? It's destroying. It's destroying. I like to work on computers. I don't tell people that a lot because then they ask me for help. I like to mess around with computers. I know enough to be really dangerous. And you know what happens when you mess up code? It's really hard to find where you made your mistake. You've corrupted it. And the next thing you know, you got a computer that won't do anything for you other than load BIOS and go, <laughs> good luck with that. And you're stuck. Corruption systematically destroys. And, and it's similar to this issue of falsehood, those falsehoods that cause problems. We're to speak the truth in love. We're also to not let corrupting talk come of our mouths, but we're to build up. What kind of speech Tears down. Corrupt speech. What, what does that look like? Man, you really could have done that better. Well, I can't believe you did that. You really don't know that? I mean, how could you get that wrong? I mean, honestly, have you ever read the Bible? Little jabs, little comments, little side remarks. Teasing, mocking, making fun of, slander. Tears down. It builds up. What builds up? Encouragement. Oh man, you've never heard that? Let's go look at the word together. This is awesome and this will revolutionize your life. Speaking in a way that builds up. And this is the, the fourth point that Paul has to say. He wants us to know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that that picture that he gave us in verses 1 through 16, that perfect unity, that perfect body, that gifted body that blesses one another and grows, God's put it in your hands as his people. And as you put off the world, you must put on Christ. And in order to put on Christ, you must live in a way that reflects the way Christ would live amongst you. Speak the truth in love. You don't be afraid to speak the truth in love. Do it with gentleness. Speak the truth in love. Don't give in to your anger. You ever been ticked off at somebody in the church? Show of hands. 
No, this is a fun one. Well, only like three people. Wow. I want a bigger club than that. I've been mad at people in the church before. I've been hurt by people in the church before. I've made people mad in the church before, believe that or not. Here's the point. How do we resolve it? In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give room for Satan. Deal with it. Go deal with it. Love people enough to get into their life. I love that you guys have community groups. If you're not connected to one of your community groups, I know sometimes times don't lie, but I'd encourage you to. Why? Because this is where you can rub shoulder to shoulder in a whole new way. And if your community groups aren't really getting in and getting into life, uh, start. Really challenge one another. Really open up your life to each other. I was part of a community group for eight years at the last church that I was at. Some of the most important relationships for my growth during that time came right out of that group. Errors in my own life, struggles that I had that they helped me through, and struggles that they had that I could help them through. So in your anger, do not sin. Build those relationships. Don't steal. Don't say mean stuff. Look to build up, not take advantage. Look to grow this body. Not sit back and say, what are you going to do for me? But figure out what you can do for the body of Christ. Our mouth can so easily utter lies, gossip, slander, hatred, worthiness. We need to set all that aside. But to speak the truth in love means that we are listening to Jesus. Because love always builds up. It grows our unity, and it draws us closer together. And why is that important? John 13, 35. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you realize how important that is to your witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ that you love the people in your local church? It's the foundational piece of your witness. If you go out there and proclaim the gospel and talk bad about the church, you're throwing hand grenades into the kingdom of God. So those people that are here in you and then go, okay, now what church do I connect with to grow? There isn't one because you blew them all up with hand grenades. Our love begins here in this body. Paul goes on to say, don't know why I closed my Bible. I guess I really like looking stuff up. Paul goes on to say this, and this is a summary. He summarizes this section in this way, verses 30 through 32. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. There's a couple of theological uh, conversations about what exactly that means. But grief is grief is grief is grief. Either you're hurting him because of your theological indecision. I, I believe very clearly that you hurt him because you choose sin over him. Just like the Israelites did to God in the Old Testament. And he, he was grieved by their sin, by their willingness to walk away from the Holy Spirit the same way. When we choose to do things our own way instead of his way right here in this body, in this family, we grieve the Holy Spirit who is here for our empowerment, for our strengthening. So he says... And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, hear me, hear these words from the Lord. Maybe this word is for you. Let all bitterness, I don't know if you have any bitterness. I don't know if you failed to forgive somebody if you're holding a grudge. Let any wrath, 
If you're angry, let any anger, let any clamor, I love that word, that unnecessary noise, hear me, pay attention to me, and slander that tearing down of others, be put away from you, along with all malice, all evil intent. If there's any evil intent in your heart, put it away. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The word of the Lord calls us to a relationship of unity through the bond of love, the love that is ours in Jesus Christ. And when we walk in that unity, he strengthens us to do these hard things in our relationships. And it is then that the body grows. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your call on us to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is worthy of our calling. We can't even fathom being worthy of anything you've called us to. So thanks for making us worthy through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his forgiveness, through the redemption that you have given us and the life you've called us to. Help us in the power of the Holy Spirit to live there to love one another there, and to build each other up. I pray for anybody, God, here today that was convicted of any sin or struggle or any problem in a relationship that needs to be dealt with. I pray that they would trust you and trust the Holy Spirit to lead them to deal with it in a way that is loving and is appropriate. Lord, build up this body of Kaleo, this, this small local church that loves you and proclaims the good news of the gospel of Jesus. I pray that you would build them up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.